that and more from her in just a moment. But why don't we stand together? We're going to just share the peace for a minute or two, which is really a chance to say hello to those around us. Give us a wave if you're here for the first time again. We want to make a special fuss of you. Look around, guys. So the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thank you. Let us offer one another a sign of peace.
Okay, do we want to be grabbing our seats again? And as you do, try and grab a green Bible. They're on the little white tables near you, or maybe on your chair if you're lucky. So let's grab our seats. <laughs> Can continue those chats in the pub afterwards. <coughs> And let's, uh, let's take our seats and stop talking. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, Pips, why don't you come up and join me? Ladies and gents, uh, we have... I know it's the summer, just everyone calm down. We have Pips Stansby with us today. Pips, you are, yeah, come on, let's hear it again for Pips. Pips, is this your first preach? I mean, uh, you preached this morning, but have you preached? Um, I used to do a fair bit of talking at uh, youth services and things at an old, old church. Um, Oh, amazing. But there was a much smaller congregation than here. (laughs) So uh, my knees are knocking just a little bit. Knees are knocking. Okay, well, just to ease us in. Uh, How long have you been part of St. Dee's here? Um, coming up to two and a half years now. Wow, yeah. a faithful, you really are a faithful friend and servant of St. Dee's. What sort of stuff, you know, uh, do you get involved with here? Uh, well, I like to do a bit of everything. So I do, I dabble a bit with kids work, a bit of AV, band, uh, sing and play. Um, and I've just taken on the leadership of my life group as well. Wow. <laughs> so you basically run the church, essentially. Not quite. I, I like to see myself as a supporter. Do you have time for anything else? What's your day job? Um, I work in insurance as a risk analyst. <laughs> Amazing. Um, uh, so what do you like to do in your free time when you're not doing that? Um, it tends to be lunch times that are free and not much else, but um, I'm part of a choir that meets on a Monday lunchtime, which is great. Um, and then I also used to do a bit of rowing, but didn't wasn't able to combine that with church. They had to give that up. Well, rowing's loss is truly our gain. So thank you so much for the sacrifice. And we would love to pray for you and then hear from you. So stretch out a hand to Pips. And Father, we thank you for your daughter, Pips, Lord. We thank you that she is such a big part of our family here at St. Dee's. For all the gifts you've given her, all the passions all the ways that she uses them to serve you and serve your people, Lord. She is a true example to so many, Lord. And we pray that you would bless her now, that you would anoint her to deliver this message that you have given her, Lord. We thank you for her, in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, thanks guys. It's a real privilege to be here and yeah, I'm just so excited to hear what God is going to say to all of you. So Pat and Tim approached me and said, Pips, we want you to talk and we want you to talk on a hero. Who are you going to choose? And I'm, I'm a little bit indecisive, so I thought, well, I'm not going to go for one. I'll go for three. Yeah, that's about right. So tonight we're looking at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Now, that isn't really something that you can apply to life today. I mean, not many of us are going to get thrown into a kiln. 
We're not going to be burnt alive, hopefully. But even if we think about the people who are encountering IS at the moment, the Christians who've stood up for their faith and have been beheaded, that's incredible, and hopefully it won't be a situation that any of us will find ourselves in. But what about in the little moments? What about when we come up against spiritual opposition? Does this story have anything to tell us about how we can react in those moments? And I believe that this story is so crucial because it looks at three things. It needs us to look at who we are. It needs us to look at who are we with, who's alongside us. And finally, we need to really question our hearts and see if we're able and willing to follow through. And if we can work out the answers to all three of those things, then I truly believe that like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we will be able to stand the heat of whatever trial and test we're put through. So the passage today is quite a long one. I'll try and whiz through it a little bit and then get to chapter three of Daniel. In the first chapter, we meet the Israelites as they've been conquered by the Babylonians. Their land has been overrun and some of them have been taken into captivity to serve the Babylonians. But before they're allowed to serve, they're renamed, their lifestyle is changed, and their diet, and they're also educated in all of the Babylonian ways. And then it moves on to a dream that the king has. And he asks his wise men for an interpretation. But in order to know that they can really interpret this dream, he goes a step further and asks them to tell him what that, yeah, tell him what his dream is. And Daniel realizes that he can't do this on his own. So he says, look, give me time and I will find the answer because I know the one who knows the answer. And he goes to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and says, I can't do this on my own. Will you pray for me? Will you fast with me? And we'll find an answer together. And then we pick up the story in chapter three of Daniel, which is on page 840 of your Bibles, if you want to find it there. And the king makes a golden statue that he requires everyone to bow down to when the music is played. And if we pick it up at verse four, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. 
Your Majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought to him, brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If the God we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar leapt his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a single hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So if we go back to the beginning, back to chapter 1, we find that our trio have been stripped of their names, given Babylonian food, and educated in Babylonian ways. 
And all of this is an attempt to strip them of their identity, of who they are and how they interact with society. So if we think about our identity and how we in interact with our society around us, our private life, our family life, our work life, do we have maybe different names in different places? Were you, like me, forced as a child to call your friend's parents Mr. or Mrs. Smith until you got to know them well enough? And they said, oh, no, don't worry, you can call me John. Um, or at work, maybe you give a different name. Or maybe your parents have a special name for you that expresses that special moment of intimacy that only you and they share. But our identity, no matter where we are, is under attack. If we think back to when we're in the playground and name-calling and how much of an impact that has on a small child, and even today, the labels that we give other people and we give ourselves, how do we react when we're in a situation? I find myself, Philippa, you're such an idiot. It's funny how the full name always comes out, a bit like your parents telling you off. If we're not sure of our own identity, then we will become vulnerable to attack and we're open to the manipulation of others. There's always this pressure to be stronger, more independent, more upbeat, maybe less upbeat if you're an extremely positive person. And our names are often a fundamental part of this. Quite often they're chosen deliberately. Maybe you're named after someone in particular, a friend or a relative, or maybe part of your name has a special meaning, or it's, it's part of a characteristic that your parents desired for you. The same is true of our trio. Hananiah, one of the original names, means the Lord shows grace. The other two were Mishael and Azariah. Mishael means who is like God, and Azariah means the Lord helps. So all of their names reflected their God that they believed in. And they would have known that heritage from the moment they were born. So by trying to rename them, the Babylonians were putting them under pressure to conform and trying to turn their eyes to a different God. We don't know exactly what the Babylonian names mean, but it's likely that they all had something to do with one of the foreign gods. For example, Abednego is likely to mean servant of Nego, who was one of the Babylonian gods of learning and writing. So they're being forced to fit into this society that they're not really a part of. Their education is being changed in order to change their thinking. Their name is being changed in order to change their loyalty. And their diet is being changed in order to change their lifestyle. And in the midst of this, how do they actually hold on to who they are? What do they do to keep that value and that sense of self-worth? Well, one of the things they do is they refuse to eat the Babylonian food. Now, this might be because the food isn't prepared according to Jewish law. Or it might be simply because they didn't want to accept the king's food, because if they did so, they'd then become dependent on his gifts and his favours. So the culture around them was not honouring God, but they still chose to, to obey him and his commands.
And today, we're all subject to pressure to conform, compromise our standards, and live like the world around us. But we, like them, have a choice. If I think back to when I was doing my masters, there were certain times where I was prepared to take a stand when they said, oh, Pips, why don't, why don't you just go after any relationship you can have? And I was like, no, I don't want that. I want something more. This is what I want. And at that point, my friends turned around and said, wow, okay, if that, yeah, I would want that too. That's great. But it's not always that easy. In the same group of friends, I was then put under pressure to, to dress in a certain way. And to my shame, I found myself behaving in a way that was appropriate for the way I was dressing. And it's not something that I'm proud of. We need to resolve to obey and remember our identity in the one who doesn't change. But it needs to be more than just a desire to follow him. We need to follow it up with action. Fortunately, as I'm sure, sure we're all aware, we do make the wrong choices. We do act in the wrong way. But our actions do not determine our identity. They might influence how we perceive ourselves, but it's not who we are. So what can we put in place to help ourselves hold on to who we really are, not what the world says we are? Well, for this trio, by changing their diet, they're reminded at every single mealtime that they've made that choice. When they're sitting down saying, oh, I really wish I could have a, a nice juicy burger, that'd be really good. But actually, they, they've made the decision and they're, they're prepared to go along with it. And they stick with it at each mealtime. And at each mealtime, it's a new choice and it's a separate choice. In the pressure of the world, we respond best when we know who we are and what we stand for. So what actions can we put in place? What little things can we put into our daily routine that will help us understand who we are and where we've come from? Some ideas might be to start the day on your knees or to put a little post-it with a verse up on your computer screen at the start of each morning. Or maybe while you're brushing your teeth in the morning, just have a verse that you repeat over yourself. Quite often, if I'm forcing myself out on a run, which doesn't happen as often as it should, um, to get myself to go that bit further, to give myself that bit of encouragement, I find myself saying, I, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can, I can. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it helps. And I've really noticed the difference when I don't start my morning off the right way. Just this week, I hit snooze one too many times. I'd ran out of time to get into the word first thing. And first thing, standing on the platform, you know what it's like with your commute. Someone cut in front of me, and my anger levels went through the roof. I had to give myself a strict talking to. Philippa, your identity is not about your place in the queue to get on a train. You've got a much bigger identity than that. And it's the little things that make a difference. Even in, in the worldly sense of things, I don't know if you know Tom Martin, who used to lead worship here, but quite often, before the services that he was leading worship in, 
you'd see him walking around like this, quite deliberately, big stance, shoulders back, powerful position. And it's been proven that two minutes changing your body language changes your self-perception and then changes how other people perceive you. So these little actions that we put into our routine will make a difference, no matter how small they are. And we've got to remember that if we slip up one day, it's not the end of the world the next day. It's a series of choices. It's not a one-off. We're not condemned forever if we make the wrong choice. In Daniel 1.17, it talks about the gifts that God has given these three men. He's given them wisdom and understanding beyond anyone else. But they have a choice as to what they do with that wisdom and understanding. I'm sure in their circumstances, they think, God, what have you done? You've taken us out of our land. We have nothing. I don't even know where my family is. I don't know what's going on with them. What do you want me to do? But they chose to use their gifts. They chose to learn about the culture they were in. In a similar way to Gideon that Tim was talking about last week. Gideon couldn't defeat an army on his own, but he could blow a trumpet. And that's what he did, and God filled in the rest. We need to use our gifts, but just one step at a time, and he'll complete the bigger picture. We're not called to have the answer, the ultimate idea and the end goal and know where we're going. We need to have a steadfast allegiance to God. Our call is to live and work within society, but not be distorted by it. So this all boils down to the first key question. Who am I? And how will I protect that identity? Fortunately, we're not called to do it on our own. We're not made to live a life of isolation. We're made for a life of relationship. Even Jesus, who had the most intimate relationship with God that the world has ever seen, had a group of inner friends. Quite frequently, James, Andrew, Peter and John are referred to as Jesus' inner circle. If Jesus had a need for that kind of intimacy, how much more do we have a similar need? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego followed Daniel's example with the diet, and they benefited from it. And I'm sure we can all think of friends who are better examples in our lives and have a better influence on our lives than others. And going back to the dream, Daniel knows that he can't interpret it on his own. He needs his friends to come alongside him. And he asks for them to fast and pray with him. And the reason that they knew that they did that is because they knew that God was with them too. And God has the power to change things, even if we can't. And in sharing their needs, they were able to petition God together. Now, it might be that there's one person in the group who's called to be an interpreter, one person who has that main vision. But all four people were needed on their knees in prayer and needed in fasting to come together to achieve the end result. 
So this, this makes me ask, sort of, where is my support? Who do I confide in? Am I really willing to be that vulnerable with others? Am I willing to allow people to come alongside me and support me in coming to God with this? Now, one of the great reasons for having people on, alongside you is that prayer is much more effective than panic. And quite often, we get into situations, and if it's a little bit stressful, we lose the ability to think or act sensibly. I know there was a moment where I was due to meet an ex of mine, and I knew if situations arose, my behavior probably wouldn't be the kind of behavior that I'd want. So I asked my friends to, yeah, to help me in prayer, and I can pinpoint the exact moment where God changed things. And he made sure that I didn't fall into that situation, so that I wasn't put into that kind of temptation. And it was so great knowing, as I went out, that I had these people behind me who were supporting me, even though they weren't with me at that time. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took that decision to not bow down to the idol together. In the face of that accusation, they stood united. It's incredibly difficult to stand up for what we believe on our own, but it's much easier if we've got someone with us. And they were prepared and did walk through the flames with one another. But the most exciting bit of this story is that while there were three earthly people in that fire, there was a fourth who appeared. And that fourth was with them right in the midst of the pain and the flames. And he's one who will never leave us. The act of praying demonstrates that we have hope in God. And it's a reminder and an acknowledgement that God is with us in the here and now. So the second question I want to leave you with is do you, do you have an understanding of who is with you? Do you have earthly companions who will come alongside you? And are you willing to open up to be vulnerable and confide in them. We're called in scripture to not conform to the patterns of this world. And these three were willing to follow God completely unconditionally. I mean, just the act of being willing to be thrown into the fire, that, that's totally putting yourself up as a sacrifice for God. And they didn't know that they would be saved. We never know what the outcome is going to be when we take our stand. And in fact, the king gave them a second chance. How easy would it have been for them to think, well, we've, we've made our point. It won't matter now if we, if we worship and we'll get out alive, which is a bit of a bonus. Um, they could have given any number of justifications Things like, well, we'll fall down, but we won't actually worship. The king will never know. Or, well, we'll worship once, and then we'll go to God for forgiveness. I mean, God does that, right? That's, that's what he's about. Or even, we're called to obey people in authority. The king must be obeyed. Or maybe it's something like, we're in a foreign country. It's okay to follow the customs of the place that we're in. Or a classic one, 
where it won't hurt anyone. Or the final one that I find sort of has applications quite a lot in my life. Well, we need to keep our position in order to help all the other Jews who are in exile. I mean, if, if we're not here, then who's going to look out for them? God's put us here, so we must stay here, and he'll understand if, if we worship to save his people, right? How often in our job are we, do we think, well, maybe, maybe when I get to the top, I, th- that's when I'll take my stance. That's when I'll say, this is what I stand for. You can't do it at the bottom. But I'd like to suggest that we need to put our values up there right from the word go so that we don't conform. These are all really dangerous rationalizations. And what are the excuses that we use when we're put in a situation and we're called to act and we know we should? What excuses do we use for not acting in that way? Or what excuses do we use for going along with something that we shouldn't go along with? We need to take a stand for God, no matter what, and be prepared for the consequences. Sadly, it is countercultural. It will be painful. It may not happen according to our plans or our timings. When I go back to that passage in in chapter 3, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, if the God we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I kind of read that and think, if that were me, I'd be expecting God to save me before I got into the fire? So you're going up, being taken captive, and you're thinking, okay, now God would be a good time, please. Or even as they're being sort of taken up to the furnace and they can feel the heat of the furnace coming towards them. God, really? I don't think you want to leave it much longer, please. But they still went all the way. And we need to say, if God rescues me, Or if he doesn't, I will serve only God. And this is an incredible example to follow. I mean, I've been questioning so much since reading this. Where do my loyalties lie? How far would I go for what I believe in? Fortunately, we're not going to be in that situation. That, that kiln was likely to be used for ceramics or metal smelting. So a normal kiln would have been more than 1,000 degrees. So seven times hotter would have been well over 7,000 degrees. And third-degree burns occur within five seconds of encountering a 60-degree flame. So it's no wonder that those other men were killed. But the miracle was that only the, bur- only the binding rope was burned. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were totally untouched. And we won't always come out unscathed. There won't always be a happy ending. But if God always rescued, we wouldn't have a need for faith. Faith is putting your trust in something that you don't understand. Putting your trust in something that you can't see the entirety of.
But what we can be sure of is that our eternal reward is going to outweigh by far any earthly suffering that we have right now. And we are reminded that nothing, nothing can bind those who Jesus has set free. And at the end of time, Jesus has taken the heat so that we can walk through that fire unscathed. But the encouragement now from that picture is that right now, in the moment, in the present, Jesus is with us. We might not see him beforehand in the run-up. We might not understand when he's going to turn up. But he is there. And he will draw alongside you. Now some final illustrations that I want to use. Tempering is the act of strengthening steel through heat and then gradually cooling it. And in the same way, if we're put under heat and pressure, and if we're up against spiritual adversity, we will come out stronger. And we will then be able to share that strength with others. And another illustration is diamond and graphite. They're made from the same element. Graphite is so soft that it's put in a pencil and it just wears off as you write and that's what leaves the mark and that's why it's used. But diamond is one of the hardest materials on earth. I don't know if any of you have younger relatives or people that you know, but there's a reason why in Minecraft diamond is the best armor to have. The difference between the two is how they're formed and how they're structured. And graphite can be turned into diamond by putting it under heat and pressure. I don't think I mind having the odd bit of a spiritual diamond about me. So the final question is, will I, will I follow through? no matter what the consequences are. And if we know the answer to who am I, who's with me, and will I follow through no matter what the consequences, then we will be able to handle the heat and go through the fire with Jesus alongside us. Thank you, Pips. Amazing. Should we stand?